And as far as my, uh, up to this point and date in my time of life, this is probably the most sobering message that I've ever had to deliver. It, it, it's the last two weeks has just been very, I'm letting it soak in. So this message is about the great white throne judgment. And it's just really consumed me. And I wish I could, maybe I should preach this more often or some messages along these lines for us as Christians and hoping to capture the attention of both Christian and non-Christian. This is an incredibly sober uh, message tonight. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, even though it's five verses, it's just blunt and concise, but the words are packed with implications, and we're going to walk through this. Our purpose tonight is to walk through Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, and really get a vision. I don't care how much time it takes us tonight to get a vision of what the great white throne judgment is. And again, we're not, looking, we're not watching a really cool movie tonight or some horror film or some fictitious thing. This is truth of God that has a track record of being 100% accurate when he's made his prophecies. And this is a day that's coming, and we just need to, ha- we just need to be sober under this, under this thing, as Peter tells us, and look forward in haste unto it, and, um, and just let it motivate us. And let it really, I mean, it ties into what Brother Rusty's been teaching about a vision of the Lord from Isaiah. It's just, so here we go, Revelation chapter 20. Um, before I read it, again, just to, I want to put in your mind context really quick. We've been going in Revelation, it, for the most part, is future stuff um, from chapter 4 on, and we've walked, through the, we've walked through the Great Tribulation time and seen Israel being persecuted, seeing Christians being persecuted, uh, Christian people that come to faith during that time. At the end of the Tribulation time, <clears throat> there's a beast and the, the, the beast and the false prophet are destroyed by the Lord like it was nothing, and this will happen. The world's best leader, which will be a wicked leader, will meet God's son, and he'll just speak a word against him, and he'll be put into the lake of fire. And then God sets up his kingdom. It was just a wonderful thing to think about, the millennial kingdom of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's more things that we could study on it, but we just kept it kind of concise on how it's recorded for us in Revelation 20. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, pray thy kingdom come. He says, seek first the kingdom. So at least be thinking about it. And so we're thinking about it. We, I think two messages we, we, we touched on it. And he's going to rule and reign for, for a thousand years. There'll be us with perfect bodies, incorruptible bodies. There'll be a certain number of people that come into the tribulation with their regular bodies that are believers. And there's going to be people that multiply. And by the end of the tribulation time, Satan's going to be, re- by the end of the millennium, Satan's going to be released. He's going to deceive some people, a lot of people. They're going to try to go against Jesus because Satan's let out of the bottomless pit. And again, he just puts them away. He puts Satan in the bottomless pit and destroys the enemies there. Uh, pardon me, puts Satan in the lake of fire. And now we are coming to this point of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. And what does John see? Because he wants us to see what he sees. So see this, please, in your mind's eye and let it, let it hit you and let it move you. I saw, verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away 
and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is again what's called the great white throne judgment. I want to just give three illustrations before we get into the text. Three kind of like examples that I want us to have in our mind that directly relate to this. For many of us, September 11th, 2001 was like an unforgettable day, a memorable day, you know, except for people young. You know, you may remember what you're doing when you heard about on the radio or saw on TV that we were uh, attacked by uh, some terrorists. They hijacked four planes, two of them in New York City, crashed into the World Trade Centers, and then the other one was at the Pentagon, and the other one crashed in uh, Pennsylvania, which possibly was headed toward the White House. It was a memorable day. But it was a memorable day for me for a second reason, because I had a court date that day, of all days. I didn't know what that day was going to be. <laughs> all I know is about two months, maybe a month and a half earlier, I was driving a car. I bought this 1980-something Monte Carlo that I was going to do. I, there was a short time where I was trying to buy and sell a couple cars just to make a little bit of money on the side, and I did. I bought this 1980-something Monte Carlo. I did a few little bit of work to it, and I was in North Mesa. I was driving south on Country Club, heading south on Country Club, coming to university. I was going to turn left, which would be going east. There was a double uh, arrow, left arrow at the intersection there. It was green. I was approaching it. It was yellow. I was approaching it, and I thought, I got this. I was going to turn left, and as I turned, it turned red, and I saw the flash, and I started turning it. And when I was turning, I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to challenge this one. And that's what I, as I was turning, I saw they flash me, and I turned it because it turned red as I was going in. And I took off, and I thought, if they send me a ticket, I'm going to go to court and prove it wrong. And that's what was in my mind. I was like, I didn't even worry about it. I was like, I'm right. I got this. And so about a month, so that happened in the summer. About a month later, I get something in the mail. It shows a picture of me, you know, driving. I think I had a hat on or something. I don't know. And I'm like, that's me. I'm not going to lie. That's me. Okay. And you can, option A, you can pay the ticket. Option B, something else. And maybe go ahead and go to the traffic school. Option C, show up in court and challenge it. I'm like, do it. I'm going to show up in court and challenge it. So I sent a reply back, and so I want to show up in court. And then they, I think, actually, I think there was already a court date if you wanted to show up in court. So I agreed to, all right, I'll show up in court. Nine, September 11, 2001, all right, no problem, show up then. Yeah. You know, I had that attitude of, I, I, watched, I got this. And so, turned out, they gave me another reply confirming that I had that court date. So that morning, it was a crazy morning for the whole country and part of the world. Um, I end up going to work, and I was just kind of like, man, I can't believe this is happening to the country, listening to the radio. But meanwhile, I'm like, I think I got, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. I had to get to court. It was in Mesa. I drive, I left the shop because me and the guys were talking about everything that was happening and did, took care of a few things at the shop. I left the shop. I went up into, we were not, our shop's not far from downtown Mesa, so I went to the Mesa court, whichever one it was, and 
And I went in there, and it was just a weird day. You know, they still proceeded with court as usual, even though everybody's kind of like going, what's happening in our country? But anyways, we're going to still have court, even if it's traffic court. So it was my turn. So literally, I came in to the courtroom. It was my turn, and there was a judge there. and There was already somebody, uh, what do you call the plaintiff here, the accuser, the plaintiff here. And then I came in. I went, sat down. It was just me. And then there was, it was a lady who represented whoever, the state, whoever's in charge of this, uh, this whole, you know, red light thing. And she was there, and there, the judge was there, up on his little thing behind the, the, the bar, I guess you call it, huh? And uh, at his desk, and, and, and uh, you know, confirmed who I was, and she confirmed who I was. And the first people to be able to speak is the plaintiff. And literally, she speaks up, and she says, you know, okay, on this date, at this time, this vehicle, such and such vehicle with this license drove through going this way, and it, and it turned, and they, they had a red light violation. They ran a red light, which is a left turn, red light, and we have, and literally open up the books. And here's this page, and here's this page, and here's an extra picture of me enlarged, you know, and here's another one, and here's these calculations, and here's how we do calculations on these machines. It's done this way, and we maintenance every we maintenance them and check them every such and such amount of time. And, did, and she just went, I think she was kind of like, she probably had five cases that day, so she was in a rhythm. We're going to nail this next guy, too. Nail this next guy there. I think she was accusing a lot of people that day, you know, on behalf of the state or whoever it is. And so she just, she laid it all out, laid out the book, so as it were, laid out the proof, as it were. And all, I mean, it was less than probably five minutes. I think she had made, probably had five minutes. And she just boom, 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 said this to the judge. And, I, and then it was my turn. And this is exactly what happened. The judge said, okay, thank you. Is that it? Yeah. Okay, Mr. Henry, what would you like to say? And this is, and this is exactly what happened. I was like, I don't have anything to say. That's what I told him. And I didn't. I was like, I don't have anything. Because I was convinced I, I was guilty by that time. <laughs> I really was. I wasn't convinced going in there. I wasn't. I'm like, I got this. Because I know, you know, if you get your nose over the threshold of the edge of the sidewalks, you're good. Even if you happen to be driving a Rolls Royce and the hood ornament's like that, if the hood ornament's passed, you're good. But I, apparently I wasn't, and they had proof of it. And I said, I have nothing to say. And I really, I didn't say, that's about it. That's about all I said, is that I have nothing to say. I was like, it looks like I'm guilty. He's like, okay, and he said a few, the judge said a few things back to me, and, and it was pretty simple, and he says, all right, well, what we're going to do, I'm still going to let you, you need to pay this, and or, no, what he said was, I'll tell you what, I'm still going to let you have the option to go to traffic school, because normally if you take the court option or are found guilty, then you pay the full ticket deal. He says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you have the option to go to traffic school, okay? I was like, all right, thank you, thank you, sir, you know, your honor. And I got that, and no, it was done. Now, that's a, very, that's a very soft court scenario. But it has elements in it that are just like this scenario here of the final court scene. There will be a final court scene with God for unbelievers. And some of the key uh, comparisons are people think, ah, oh, yeah, if I see God one day, I got this. If I even there even is a God, I got this. I can, I can prove it. But God, in His Word, you'll see the books are open, and it's proven, and people don't have anything to say back. 
And every mouth, as it says in Romans, is going to be stopped, and all the world will become guilty before God. Another illustration I want to give you is in the Bible, this is the Bible truth. In the Bible, there's some judgments. The two major ones we know of, future judgments before God, are these, are like, uh, they're called the judgment seat of Christ. I, we've taught this church, I've taught this to you, the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment of where we're at tonight. And these two things are kind of like what we would know right now in society. There's two types of judges in society right now that we would understand, two different types. There's the more athletic or the sporting judge, is there not? If you were to go to a, a, a you know, track and field event, there's judges that are officiating and judging what's happening, and then they reward, they're, there, they're part of giving you an, a medal or a reward. In the Olympics, there's judges. There's judges in gymnastics, is there not? Right? You know, they give their card or their rating of the, the little routine that was done, and they judge it. Okay, there's those type of judges, the sporting judges, and then there's the legal judges that I just mentioned. And I mentioned to you kind of the smallest degree one, traffic court person, and it gets higher degree, state and federal type. So there's legal judges that deal with your behavior, legal behavior, and then there's sporting judges that deal with just sport. Either you're going to get a reward of different rankings or nothing, but they don't punish you, right? Unless you're like violating somebody on the on there, you know? It's pretty much a reward of some degree or not. That's exactly the Bible, how the Bible tells us it. When it says the great, when it says the, the judgment seat of Christ in, in First and Second Corinthians, Paul refers to it, when he says the judgment seat of Christ, the language is bema, the Greek word is bema seat, and the word bema seat for the Greek person speaking that language would think the Olympics. Because in the Olympics, in the ancient Olympics, they, after they did their event of running, track and field, of wrestling or javelin or whatever, pushing a rock, I don't know what they were doing back then, all of that stuff, whatever they were doing, when they were done competing, they may have had different levels of reward, you know. We have, what, bronze, silver, gold, and you report to the platform and you get it. They did that. It was similar. They came to the Bema seat. It was literally a place called Bema Seat, and that's where the judges were, and they reported there. And nobody got sent to jail. Nobody got sent to prison. It was either you got a reward of some degree or not. That's exactly the judgment seat that we're facing. We're facing a judgment seat that's going to read, if you're truly saved, this is where you want to be. Even if you only get this much reward, you want to be here. You don't want to be at this other one. Okay? The judgment seat of Christ where you get a degree of reward or a very small amount at all. But the other one that we refer to, like in society, is a legal judge. And that's what we have here is where it's a judge of sin and of, of, uh, um, of people's works. We don't want to be judged in and of ourselves according to our works. The Bible, have you ever seen somebody wear a shirt or have a sign that says, only God can judge me? Raise your hand. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Somebody say, only God can judge me, or some sure, I don't know if I think a rapper used to say that, only God can judge me. You know, Tupac or somebody, only God can judge me. Guys wear shirts, only God can judge me, and they say that stuff. Well, let's think about that. That's a mentality people have. By the way, let's listen. Listen to the, how, what the lies with Satan's telling us and people out there that we rub shoulders with. Satan tells us a lie of one extreme or the other. He's an extremist. He works at both extremes. 
Satan works at both extremes on, on things. Here's, what, here's the lies Satan likes to tell. He likes to tell the one lie that says, God, there's, God's not even going to judge anybody if there is a God. He's not going to judge anybody. That's what Satan says. But that lie is going to be exposed very clearly on this thing. Or Satan goes to the other end. He tries to feed people the other end. Oh, yeah, God's going to judge you. You got this. You got this. God can judge you, and you got this, man. Work it out. And he paints a different picture of God. The person who says, only God can judge me, have three thoughts, responses to that. First one is, no, I can judge you. <laughs> if you come, well, you want to work at my business, and I give you a job interview, I'm going to size you up. And if you happen to have a business, and I want to work for you, I hope you size me up. I hope you judge me. I hope you judge me good, because I want to work for you. So I can judge you. Oh, only God. Well, a state judge, here's another response. A state judge can judge you. If a person said, yeah, only God can judge me, man. Well, homie, if you, you, know, you steal a car and the police nab you and you stand before the judge, try saying that to him. Yeah. No, he can judge you. Oh, you mean like in the afterlife only. Okay, only God, yeah, okay, only afterlife. Only God can judge you in the afterlife. Okay, I get it, I get it. That's true. My question is, is that a consolation? Is that some consolation to you? Only God can judge me, man. He's going to judge me. You find that consoling? We need to think that way on behalf of maybe if you're not saved or somebody else has that mentality, think, do you, what, kind of, what kind of God do you think is going to judge you? The one thing that, there's a couple things consoling, but one of them is a verse like this where Jesus Christ says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. That brings me consolation, not the idea of, I'm going to work this out with the judge. Because books will be open and it'll go otherwise. This is, okay, so let's look at our text, the great white throne judgment. There's three parts to this scene. I want us to get a hold of tonight. There's three parts. This is easy to understand. You, don't, you can get this. The judge. First, we're going to see the nature of the judge. The judge. Secondly, we're going to see the judged. That is, people there who are being judged. And then, thirdly, the text shows us the judgment. That's what the text reveals. It reveals something about the judge, something about the judged, and something about his judgment. Let's consider that tonight. Number one, the judge. The Bible says, look at verse 11. What does it say? John saw, what did you see, John? I saw a great white throne. His purity is what we see first about this judge. His purity, a great white throne. Remember, Rossi was referring to this today, a little bit about God's purity and holiness. A throne is a place of authority of a king or of a judge. And John sees this. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. Listen to these words. What do you see? What did you see, Daniel? Daniel, who's kind of like the John of the Old Testament as far as these prophecies. I beheld till thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool, and his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. It's describing 
a pure, holy judge. There's corrupt judges, aren't there, out there? There's corrupt judges. This one's very pure. It's this great white throne, and he is, he is himself this brilliance that Daniel describes. His purity about the judge. Another thing is the identity of the judge. Well, wait a minute. Who, oh, time out. Who is this? Who is this judge? God the Father? God the Son? Or is it the MVP Christian from the last 4,000 years that gets to do this? It's God the Son. Let me show you some scriptures. I'll quote them to you. You can look them up. Jesus Christ claimed that he would be this one. John chapter 5, verses 22 to 28, he says it more than once. You can read it if you want. I'll quote part of it. John chapter 5, verses 22 to 28, Jesus said that he'll be this judge right here. He says, The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Because the Father, even if the Father quickeneth whom he will, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. He says, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming, when all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Some under the resurrection of death, some under the resurrection of life. Jesus claimed to be this judge that we see here. This is Jesus Christ. Peter said it was Jesus. Acts chapter 10, verses 42. Peter said that Jesus was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick, that's the living, and the dead. That's what it says that Peter tells us. And then Paul tells us the same thing. In Acts 17, Paul was actually speaking to a large group of men in, on, the hill, uh, uh, on Mars Hill. The Athenians, they were guys who thought they were incredibly intelligent and educated. And Paul, gave, they gave, hey, Paul, what do you have to say? And they gave him a chance to speak. And Paul spoke to all these philosophical smarty pants guys on Mars Hill. And he, in his speech he gave, he says, in the times of this they didn't think they were ignorant. But he says, in the times of this ignorance of y'all, God winked at but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's telling all these men, God has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath chosen, whereof he hath given witness to all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Paul tells all these guys, Jesus Christ is going to judge you one day. That's, the, that's who this judge is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Men, for these last 2,000 years, have ignored him, denied him, cursed him, disbelieved him, sold him. He's offered to be their advocate. He's been offering to be humanity and every person's spokesman before God, the, 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 the attorney, the advocate, the mediator, he's offering that right now, and men are saying no to it, no to it, but one day he's going to switch, he's going to be a judge. You know, a lot of judges, we used to be lawyers. Some on the Supreme Court, they were first practicing attorneys and lawyers, and then they go to judge. That's what Jesus is going to do, do you know that? And he's going to go to the highest Supreme Court. He's an advocate now, and he's going to be a judge later. And his authority. What about this judge? We're learning the authority of the judge. Look at this. Look at verse 11. Look what happens to the background of everything. Yeah. From whose face, wait a minute, verse 11. From whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now sometimes we think of some, a great and important judge, he needs to have a grand court like the Supreme Court and go up the steps and have all these things, and I don't even know what it looks like there, but it sounds really cool. 
He thinks they have some great court. When Jesus judges in this last day, it's going to be like everything. This is going to be the most dramatic thing that's happened since God spoke things into existence in Genesis 1 when he called the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars and all the details of the earth into existence. It's going to get reversed. All right, I called it into existence. I'm calling it away. And the earth, zoinks, runs off. And the heaven, you. And there's found no place for, can you imagine this, people? Where's the court scene? In space, I guess. That's it. This is what, this is the view here. This, this authority of this judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, has authority to call things into existence and out of the way, out of existence. Can you imagine that? Do you see that right there? There's never been such a day. This will be a day where it'll be like Hebrews 4.13, where it says, neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We think, oh, God doesn't see me. God sees us all right. No matter how much is created in the world, God still sees us. But it'll be ever more true when people have no place to hide. What was the first thing God asked man? When Adam and Eve, all the way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, where are you? They're hiding. And now this day, there's nowhere to hide for the children of Adam and Eve. It'll be a day when Matthew 24, 35 will come to pass, when Jesus said about his word, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will still stay. My words shall not pass away. One thing that's still going to be existence is in some form, these scriptures, some form, somehow, some way. That'll still be around. That's not going to get burned up in the, the burning. So that's the judge here we're, we're introduced to. Now the judged. John, wanted, John saw it. John wanted us to see it. And we're told there's a, there's a measure of blessing for those who read here and observe these things. Look at verse 12. I want to see the types of people that are judged. Notice. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. People that have died that never were resurrected in his kingdom. What types of people are being judged? That's what we're noticing. The first thing about these, the people who are judged, the types of people they are, are all types. John didn't say, you know, saw a great white throne and all these dirty, rotten scandals come marching out. That's what I thought. Yeah, Hitler's in there too, and Osama bin Laden and all these scoundrels. No, he says, I saw the dead, small, great, that doesn't just mean height. That means of repute and of reputation. I know that guy. I know that's Alexander the Great. I know that guy. That's Hitler. Well, I don't know that guy. Who's that? Who's that person? Small and great, stand before God. Here's what one comment. Listen to what one commentator said. He just, a lot better than I can. He says this. He says uh, this. Uh, this is a terrible fellowship. He says, the dead, small and great, stand before God. Dead souls are united to dead bodies in a fellowship of horror and despair. Little men and, and paltry women whose lives were filled with pettiness, selfishness, and nasty little sins will be there. Those whose lives amounted to nothing will be there. Whose very sins were drab and dowdy, mean, spiteful, peevish, groveling, vulgar, common, cheap. They'll be there. But the great will be there, men who sinned with a high hand, with dash and courage and flair, men like Alexander, Napoleon, Stalin and Hitler will be present. Men who went in, for wickedness, went in for wickedness on a grand scale with the world for their stage and who died unrepentant at last. No, now one and all of them, 
great and small, are arraigned on their way to be damned. A horrible fellowship is congregated together for the first and last time. That's the background of this. Wow. That's who they are. The types of people that are judged, great and small. The truth that's presented to them. We'll take a little bit longer on this. Notice this. The books were open. There's truth presented. There's evidence here in this court. Not just somebody calling out and yelling an accusation. There's truth. There's evidence presented. Notice what it says. The books were open. You see verse 12? The books were open, and then it says, and another book was open. Let's take that first phrase. The books were opened. So here we have God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge, on a great white throne. All the people who are not, they're really not saved. Here they are, every sort, standing before him. Open the books. The books, several, several books. Books meaning there's accounts of all different types of people, of different aspects of the life. And there is a book open. And it says the books. That's talking about God's record of people's actions, people's thoughts, people's words. They're opened up to record. You know what one man said? He said that um, they said uh, uh, about, I guess it could be more of a, this is what some psychologists tell us. They say that we never really forget things. I'm going to make sure I'm not even finding my quote here. Oh, this is what it is. Psychologists assure us that nothing we have ever experienced is really forgotten. The subconscious mind stores it all up in neat compartments, awaiting the appropriate trigger to recall it at the con- to the conscious mind. Many people who have been saved from drowning have frequently said and testified to this fact that in their last moments, their whole life flashed back. You've had that happen, haven't you? Have you ever had a moment where, ooh, my life just flashed before my eyes? You know, it may have been a good or bad moment. The idea is that sometimes we... We'll, it'll be recalled. We can recall back what's happened. And here God's going to have them over, and he's going to have the records. It's going to recall, and their conscience will be like, that, that, that's what happened. The books are opened on the judge. And what's happening? So what? All right, the books are open. What are they going to say? Well, God's going to say something about a person's actions. For Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. What else will be brought out? person's actions a person's words the lord jesus christ said in matthew 12 36 but i say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment wow what else will be brought out a record of a person's words their actions a record of a person's conscience romans 2 verses 15 to 16 paul says you know even the non-jewish person who has no clue about the the the, the scriptures Even him, the work of the law is written in his heart, his conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts in the meanwhile, accusing and excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There's nothing hid that shall not be revealed, Jesus said, neither covered that shall not be known. That's what Jesus said. In this day, I think even in the day of the of the, the judgment seat of Christ where it's a, it's a come out, the out, end outcome is a positive thing, there's still in that day nothing good that you've done is going to be hid that nobody else knew about and didn't clap at you for. Jesus is going to uncover that and give you a reward for it even if you never got an applaud. He'll reveal it. In this way, this is in the worst sense here on this judgment seat or this great white throne judgment of conscience, 
of action, of words. And then it says, what else? So there's, here they are, here they are, here's the judged of all sorts. The books are open, a record of their actions and words and conscience and thoughts. But then there's this other book presented. It says the book, a life. Look what it says. Another book, verse 12, was opened, which is the book of life. Now there's a whole other thing you could take off and study on this thing. Let me try to give you the kind of a short uh, description of the book of life here. In the, in, in, so God, I'll just put it to you this way. God has a book that he's written besides the Bible. Men have books that they would call, even in, the, even in the Scripture, it talks about having books of the living that relate to perhaps genealogy or relate to a, a list of citizens in a country. Are you following me? We're, on, we're, we're known as citizens, and yeah, they take a census, right, of us, and we're written down somewhere as a citizen. We're in the book, okay? In the, in the, in the scriptures, it, this is even not even scriptures, just through time, kings and sovereigns would have a list of their citizens, and typically when the citizen died, they just mark him out, blot him out, he's dead. The, the Jews had that, and they also had genealogies. It was like a book of life. In fact, in Nehemiah's day, there were some priests who wanted to serve in the priesthood, and they couldn't prove their they, they couldn't prove their name was part of a lineage. It wasn't in there. It wasn't found. So they were put out of the priesthood because their name wasn't there. So, th- so there was a secular my understanding of book of life, so on. But God has one in His book that He has written, as Moses mentioned. David mentioned. God having a book that even describes your body parts before they're developed, Psalm 139. David said, you know, you saw me in my mother's room. You knew how all my parts are going to get developed even before they were developed because they're already written in your book, all the dimensions and size and color and all that and length of my life. In thy book, thy members were written when as yet there was none of them. God has a book that has, this is what I believe it is basically. I believe it's a book of names of everybody who would ever be born. This is, and there's a couple different takes on this, but it's a book, every, the book of life. Everyone who, has, who would ever be born from the foundation of the world, God knew that. This is everybody who would ever be born. When they die without Christ, the name's gone. Or in some cases, like in the tribulation, if they start worshiping the beast during the tribulation, blot it out right now while you're living. The book of life is mentioned seven times in Revelation. We read two of them here. It's mentioned in some other scriptures, chapter 3, 5, chapter 13, verse 8. And give you an example, one of them, chapter 3, verse 5, the Lord Jesus says to those who are his believers, hey, I won't blot your name out of the book of life. I won't blot your name out. But then later on it says, those who worship the beast are in awe of the Antichrist. Their names are not in the book of life. That's what it says. Wow. The Bible says in chapter 22, verse 19, if any man shall take away from the things that are written in this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and from the things which are written therein, in this book. If somebody says, you know, I see the Bible and, and all this stuff, but you know, I don't want it like this. And some guy, some scholar, some person takes upon himself to cut up and chop up the Bible and take things out of it and say, no, this is actually God's word. He actually just chopped his name out of the book of life is what he did. I'm not making that. If I just take God's word literally, that's what really happened. That's what really would have happened. 
So the idea is a true believer has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. It's in there and it's not coming out. It's written in permanent blood, if you want, of Jesus, if you want to put it like that. It's written permanently. But this book is open. Even though all the people are there standing before God, the books are open. Here's all the record of their account. And the book is open. And it's there. Now notice this. The dead were judged out of those things. Look at the end of verse the end of verse 12. The dead were judged out of what? Those things which were written according to their works. Somebody says, well, if God judged me according to my works, you'd find out, I got some bad things I've done, but there's a lot more good things I've done. Well, it's not going to matter this day. God will know the weight of it. And they were judged according to their works. If any man's a judge according to his own works in and of himself, our works are as, and our righteousness are as filthy rags. There's not enough goodness to merit ourselves with God. So here's about the judge. One more description about the judged here. The totality of the people who are judged. Notice verse 13. The totality here. The Holy Spirit gives us kind of another description here of how they came forth. Look at verse 13. Picture this. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. What? Did you know Osama bin Laden was buried in the sea? Uh, you know, they had their, our SEAL team did their job and got him and nailed him. And, and then there was a process where he was taken and put on a, one of our ships. And they did, they say, <laughs> they did some kind of proper Muslim treatment of his body and wrapped him. And, but they, they weighted him down with, I don't know, 500 pounds of something, and they dumped them right in this ocean. They don't want anybody to find that body because somebody might make some thing out of them. you got extreme, you know, on each side. You know, we, we, he's our enemy. That's where we're at. And there's others like, if we find this body, they would do such honor to it. And we just, like, get rid of it, bury it. We kind of do a little compromise. We gave you the nod. We gave you a Muslim burial. Boom. You're not going to find him, though. But he will come back. You know, we have people that want to be cremated. That's your choice. Whatever, I choose differently. I don't think there's a I'll pick on you about it. But some people want to be cremated. Some people don't. Some, some people die in a fire. You know what? God's going to recall every atomic material, whatever you want to call it, and reconstitute, reconstitute it. I mean, this is what the Bible This is a point. This is where we should just pause a second and just wait a second and say, all right, all right, all right, all right. Church has been cool. Church has been fun. Do I believe that? Do I believe this? Do I believe this book? Because this is outlandish, what it's saying. It's outlandish, unless it's true. And God's going to reconstitute the sea. Well, there they all are. A lot of shipwrecks, Titanic people re-coming back. And ashes and carbon that got, bring it all back. There they are, standing before God. The sea gave up, the, it says, death and hell gave up the dead which are in the idea of death means whoever else was not had a non-sea burial, there they are, come back, the body part. Hell refers to where the soul was contained. Death and hell came out, came forth. And a body and a soul were you reunited again because they're going to have a second death. And there they are, the totality of these people. Daniel said, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. And some everlasting life that'll be the first resurrection that's what we're going to go through and some to shame and everlasting contempt that's the second resurrection you don't want to be a part of that
Jesus said, the hour is coming which, in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. So that is the judged. There's the judge himself. There's these people standing before God one day. The billions and billions of whoever it is standing before the Lord Jesus Christ hovered out in space, as it were, nowhere to hide, nowhere to go. There's him and the judge. They're looking on the face of the one who had scars in his head, who was pierced in his side and scars in his hand and his feet, who's offered himself to humanity for the last whatever thousand years. And now they're looking, he's no longer advocate. He got promoted. He's judge now. I shouldn't say that's a, that's a, I shouldn't say got promoted. It's just he's taken that position that he, he already has the right to have. And there they are. Now the last part that we're learning, what does the Bible tell us? It tells us of the judgment itself. And it's pretty short. Verse 13, the end of verse 13, they were judged every man according to their works. It's an individual judgment, individually measured out. Every man. See, a lot of us on a positive note, we want individual attention, don't we? One of the things that I have to wrestle with as a dad, and most of us, we only have a handful of kids, and it's like, I got to give my kids individual attention and help them and, and take care of them. But sometimes we want individual attention legally. Like, can you just check me out? Can you maybe consult an attorney or you want to have your day in court to, to deal with a judge or something? We want, but here, everybody's going to have individually judged. Every man, according to his works, Paul said, every man shall give an account of himself to God. That applies to the great white throne. It applies to us. You're going to individually give an account of yourself to God. Every one of you. God doesn't care if you were born in a Christian family. As they say, being born in a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in the back of a Cadillac make you a spare tire. You know, you, you have to individually be born again. And if you're born again, you won't see this day. You'll see the day where Jesus evaluates your service for him. The judgment, what is it saying? It's individually measured out. Another description, it's in the lake of fire is where it goes. Verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's talking about the union of those people who were dead in their bodies and the, their souls. That's where they came from, each of those parts. That's cast into the lake of fire. It's kind of like when somebody says, I mean, if we were to be technical, if you go to hell, you go to hell forever. Well, not really. You're going to come out for your court date. And then it goes to the lake of fire. That's what it says. They're cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the judgment. And then the last description of it is it involves the book of life. Verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life will be there. They're not there. This host of people started worshiping Antichrist. They're blotted out. These people started changing God's word. They're blotted out. These people died without Christ. They're blotted out. Whoever's not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. When Johnny Johnny's gets to play at a Christian school the last couple years for at Tri-City where the Carnes go, and he had tryouts, you know. And uh, it was kind of like, ah, you're going to make it, Johnny. But I never vocalized that with him. I'm like, Johnny, you better play hard, man. You never know. Might not make it. But my wife and I are like, he's going to. But uh, he tried out, and he made it, and, and then, like, Adam, Adam Carnes Jr. texted me, like, you know, a month or so ago. He texted me the picture, like, I think it was, I don't know where, maybe Coach Brown had it on his, uh, at the office or something, had a picture of the list of the guys who made the cut, you know, and it had the list, and it showed Johnny's name, and so Adam Jr. took a picture of it and texted it to me. I'm like, here, Johnny, you made it, man. 
better than me in 10th grade. I went and tried out for baseball at Mesa High in 10th grade, and um, that was a lot of us guys, and, and uh, you know, I got cut. Long story short, I got cut, and it was sad. I, I, don't, I may have made the first cut. I don't remember, but definitely by the second cut. Uh, in fact, the guy that was coaching us at the time had actually played for the Angels, and he short short time for the Angels, and then he was he was you know he was dealing with us in the tryouts and everything, and and um, I I thought I did good enough. I kind of had this little side conspiracy that they are favoring Mormons at Mesa High, but that's another story. But anyways, I got cut, and I thought, man, that was sad because what happened was is the the day it may have been the second cuts because they went through two. And I showed up, and you look in the window of the coaches uh, at the, the PE room and the, uh, in the locker rooms, that is, and, and, and in the window, they'll post who made it, you know. This was at the end of the day in the spring, and I, I go, and I look. I'm like, I'm not finding my name there. If you don't find it there, you're cut. If you're there, you're good, you know. I mean, I'm looking for my name. I don't find my name. Oh. I was wasn't too happy. It made me sad, you know, a little bit sad about it. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, that, it, it, but this is, okay, it made me sad. This is, this is uh, small consequences, but this is big consequences. You know, it's easy, I should say. It's, uh, not, it's not uh, complex to have my name permanently kept in the book of life. It's just humble yourself and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's what we want to communicate to people, right? Settle out of court. Settle out of, you know, when somebody gets in big trouble and they're like, oh, man, I got in trouble and this guy wants to take me to court. Ooh, you know, the first option is see if I can settle out of court. Hey, can we talk about this? And if you get a guy that's your adversary wants to talk about it and help you settle out of court, that's good. Maybe you need to recruit a lawyer ahead of time. It's like, hey, we want to help this guy settle out of court with you. We're sorry he, you know, ran into your, you know, your tree or whatever. Um, but we want to settle. It's good to try to settle out of court. And this is exactly analogy for today. You know what we are right now? We are to be teach, showing people that, yes, they have a court date coming, and we want to we tell them somebody that they can go to to help them settle out of court. You ever see these? We see these billboards around town, right? The, you know, the learner and row. You in a wreck? You need a check? <laughs> and then my kids sing the dumb song. You know, I don't want to hear that. Don't want to hear it. They sing the little learner and row song or some other clown up there that's wanting to... I shouldn't say this. I might get in trouble one day. But anyways, you know, these, these, these lawyers, and in fact, one of my neighbors, he was three houses down. He used to have a billboard, too. He was helping with immigration problems, and uh, he's not there anymore. But, but you have these attorneys like, hey, you in trouble? Call us, man. We're going to get you slipping, sliding out of this problem. You know, you've been drunk driving? We'll figure a way to slither out of that one, you know? And uh, they sometimes they can. Well, Jesus Christ is. It, we are basically to be billboards to the world. Like, hey, everybody, you're in trouble, but come to Jesus. He's our advocate with the Father. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for all of our violations, our sins, even the sins of the whole world. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, the Bible says. So we are really to be billboards uh, for the sinner. And that's why, again, part of our witness and part of our conversation has to include God's law. 
has to include evidence of like, hey, of sin and breaking God's law and Jesus' righteousness. And then the, 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 the lawyer makes sense when you know you're in trouble. If you don't think you're in trouble, you're never going to call a lawyer. If you don't think you're that bad of a sinner, you're never going to call on Jesus. He might, you, you might want to call him to patch up something in your life. But if you don't think you're in trouble with God, you don't think you've really sinned against God, he doesn't mean much to you. That's why we bring in the knowledge of sin through the law and things like that. Because I don't want anybody here. I want one last, one last person on this day at the judgment seat of Christ. It's a horrible time. And I'm gonna just, we're going to wrap this up. This is why when you come to that point in the Bible... Do you notice what's next? It's like, you read chapter 21 and 22. All right. God says, I'm making all things new. Wiping away all the tears, because there might be a lot of tears on that day from us. Wiping away all the tears and no more sorrow, no more death. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former ones are going to be passed away, not come to mind. And it's like, it's be saying that because this is like, this is the peak um, I don't know how to say it, the most difficult moment for humanity right there. But it's really going to happen. What can I do about it? I can just point people to Jesus. That's one thing. I can, back, to back up, I need to make my calling and election sure. Is my name in the book of life? Is your name in the book of life? It has to be in the book of life. Else, if you're not found written in the book of life, you'll die a second time in the lake of fire.